Thank you so much for coming back, being with us again this week on Defining the Dash. It sure has been great getting to be with you and, and talking with you each week. And uh, this week we have another special episode. Uh, we want to discuss uh, the testimony of, of Brother Philip Morris. Uh, he was a, a friend of ours that, that went on to glory just a, a couple months ago. And uh, I was able, someone sent us a recording where he was sharing his testimony and Man, what a what a wonderful testimony it was! Uh, if you're not familiar with Brother uh, Philip, uh, his sons, uh, Brother Nathan, Brother Ben, Brother John, Brother Jeremy uh, Morris, uh, Sister Jessica Adkins, and um, they all are are uh, have been active in the ministry and and uh, just some great folks, and so uh, he goes into uh, sharing his testimony and, and and the things that he went through as a young man and, and how God brought him through it and uh, how the devil had told him he would never have anything. But God turned that all around, and uh, Brother Philip had 15 grandchildren. Um, I hope you enjoy this, uh, this recording here of, of Brother Philip Morris. And I'd like to say, you know, before I start here, uh, I know that uh, in our in our generations, people uh, have had rough lives. They really have. Uh, there's people that's had a lot worse life than I did, and I understand that. Uh, I'm not uh, trying to compare lives with anybody, but I would like for people to understand that uh, the Bible that we read. A lot of people, when I was when I was a sinner, the Bible had no meaning to me because I didn't know what was in it. And uh, and uh, till you know something, till you know, not somebody else knows, but till you know, things don't really have a meaning to it. I've heard people say, uh, "I'm ready to lose a loved one," and uh, you'll feel for them. But uh, that don't touch you until it knocks on your door and it comes to your house. Then it's got a whole different meaning. And uh, a lot of people go to church. My, my mom went to church off and on. And I found out years later my dad had been saved and was a backslider and full of the Holy Ghost at one time. Uh, but you would have never known that. So uh, people go to church. People go golfing. People go bowling, and in my lifetime, that's the way I looked at it, because I never seen anything that would make me think that there was something to the Bible or something to church. And so you have to know for yourself, and I'm just saying all this because when I share this testimony of what God's done for me, I, I, don't, uh, I don't say it to uh, get pity or anything of that nature, I'm talking about me and nobody else. You see, when it happened to me, when it took place in my life, it became real. I'm telling you, it became real. And uh, I could sit and listen to somebody before I got to know the Lord, and it didn't mean a thing to me. It didn't mean nothing. Because I was so deceived and uh, lived a life that where I didn't trust nobody anyway, so it didn't matter to me what they went through. Life was about me and my circumstances. 
until I met him. So uh, it's good to be here, and I just wanted to share that so that uh, people would understand when I, I talk, they understand where I'm coming from. I appreciate my wife. I love her. appreciate my daughter-in-laws. I got four of them, and uh, they're all saved, and they're all talented. I have 15 grandchildren. You know, the devil told me I'd never have nothing. That's what he tells you. You won't have nothing, and you'll never be nothing. But uh, I'm blessed, and I appreciate the Lord. In this spirit, the love we feel here tonight, money couldn't buy that. Money couldn't buy that. So I was raised, uh, I was raised in Covington, Kentucky. I was born in 1949, and uh, my dad was a musician, country and western singer. And I don't know if people remember, but uh, there was a... Uh, a Station on the TV called the Midwestern Hayride on WLW. You have to remember uh, that we came from a generation where there was no computers, no cell phones, no air conditions, no microwaves. And the TV we had was a black and white, and you had three stations, 5, 9, and 12. And you had to shut the curtains and close the doors in order to see the screen at night because the TV is in such bad shape. And it was black and white. So that's where we came from, see? Different generation, different, same kind of world, just different generation. So the, the wisdom of man and the knowledge of man has really increased. My, my. So I was born into a family. Uh, my mom worked at a dime store in Covington, Kentucky as a waitress uh, behind the counter. And my dad was a musician. He was a drunkard. He never would work. Uh, he always thought he was going to be a big movie star. He was on TV uh, on the Midwestern Hayride. And so he, uh, he spent his life pretty much uh, pursuing his career and uh, not taking care of his family. I was the fourth child born. There were six of us in the family. I had three sisters ahead of me. I was the first boy born. And when they called my dad and told him that he had a boy family, he was playing music, and he was drunk, and he said, name him Philip. And at that time, that was a bad name to name anybody because uh, that was the name of a popular cigarette at the time, Philip Morse. And so uh, I got teased a lot in my lifetime. Uh, I wouldn't hardly tell nobody my last name. I'd just say Philip, and uh, they'd make fun of that because uh, Philip Morse, little guy on TV would come on and holler for Philip Morse. And uh, it was really embarrassing to grow up with a name like that. So uh, I was born with club feet, had to wear certain shoes. I was born cross-sided. I was so cross-sided that uh, I couldn't look at people. They'd laugh at me because when I look at them, they'd turn around to see who I was looking at. And uh, I'd be looking straight at them, and they'd start laughing. So when I talked to people, I talked with my head down. I didn't look at people. And uh, we, were, we were poor. I didn't know we was poor, but we were poor. Uh, we walked two miles to school, put cardboard in our shoes, uh, had one pair of shoes, and they were hand-me-downs, and we put cardboard in them, and we would use them up until we couldn't put no more cardboard in them. And uh, we'd walk to school. We, was, uh, we lived in a project, and, uh, of course, Mom and, uh, worked at the dime store, and uh, she had change. I learned to do a lot of things uh, that wasn't right when I was young. In order to survive, we was very hungry. I always stayed hungry, seemed like. 
And uh, they had a donut truck that would come up on that project early in the morning before school and blow that horn and go around the different uh, areas. And mom would give us enough money to buy one dozen donuts if you could catch the truck. My job was to catch that donut truck. Now, if I missed him, if I missed him, we didn't get breakfast. I never did miss that truck. I want you to know. And we had two donuts apiece. There was a dozen. We had six of us. Two donuts apiece. Well, the guy, later on, I felt, I found out, would always give me 13 donuts because he felt sorry for me because I had to run after him. Uh, of course, I'd eat that donut before I got to the house. I wouldn't tell nobody, you know. So uh, we would get our breakfast. That's how we ate breakfast. We didn't have lunch. Uh, I'm sad to say we didn't have lunch. We were poor, I'm telling you, and uh, I would eat uh, lunch out of garbage cans at school, to be honest with you. Uh, people, they had lunch, and they'd bring lunch, and they'd take a bite off of it, throw it away. I'd grab it. I was, uh, I was just that way. But our life was in that, uh, our life was in that state, you know, uh, we, we, we had it rough. And so mom worked at the dime store, uh, dad, he would never hardly come home. And when he did, it wasn't good because then mom would tell him all the things we did wrong while he was gone. And then he would, he would take things into his own hand, take care of us, you know. So, uh, life was pretty tough. And, uh. At the age of ten years old, uh, four years old, uh, the state came and took us away from our parents, put us in a home. We were in a home for about a year. I was four years old, stayed till I was five. Uh, they separated my sisters from me, so I didn't get to see them much. And the only thing I remember about that home was this big woman would put me in a bed and raise that bed up, and she'd stuff hominy in my mouth. And she'd tell me how many was good, and I had to eat it. And if I didn't eat it, I couldn't get out of that bed. Well, I learned to outsmart that lady. I'd wait till she get out of the room, and I climbed out of that bed, and they had a big old register, steam register, and I'd shove that how many down that register, climb back up in the bed with that tray. She'd come in there and pat me on the head and say, you're a good boy, you ate it all. So I learned that you could get around things at a young life. Life, life was pretty bad. It really was. Uh, at the age of 10 years old, he's getting ready for school. Uh, we lived in a project. Dad, I heard uh, screaming and crying. I ran downstairs, found out my dad had come home. Him, my mom got into it. He hit my mom, broke her back, broke her arm, and ran out of the house. So my mom laid in a hospital for a while with a cask. Uh, I used to sit on the steps and say, why was I born into this family? Why was life like this? We don't pick our parents. We don't pick our home. We just uh, were born into this world, and uh, that's where it goes. Uh, Mom, you would tell me, she would say, you're never going to be any good. You're never going to be raised uh, to do anything. It's in your blood. She said, you'll always be like your dad and his, his family. My dad had a brother that came out of the military, and he had mental problems. Uh, him and his cousin went hunting together, got to drinking. My dad's brother killed his cousin and buried him over a rabbit. We came from a wicked family, hardcore family. They always tell me, you're going to be just like them. There ain't no sense of you trying to do anything else. You're just like them. Well, you grow up believing that. After a while, you grow up believing those things. And so you lose sight of everything else in life. I did. I could care less what people thought of me. I could care less 
what they did. I could care less how anybody looked at me. I was in bad shape uh, at a young age, uh, being cross-sided, you know, and uh, in the condition I was in. And uh, they took me to the doctor. The doctor said, well, you'll be blind by the time you're 23 years old. He said, your eyes are really bad. But life went on for me. At the age of uh, 14 years old, I got a job working for the Board of Education, sweeping classrooms. And uh, in order to do that, you had to leave house at 6 in the morning, be at school at 7, sweep classrooms till 8.30, go to school at 8.30, get out at 3.30, sweep classrooms until 5.30 at night, walk home. On Saturday, you had to get up at 8, be at school at 9, uh, scrub the basement out, the toilets and the commodes and all that, clean the basement up until about 12 o'clock, and then you get to go home. We did that for $89 a month. I did that so mom could help feed us and that we would have food on the table. So I never missed a day of school. I was the biggest kid in the sixth grade. I was 16 years old in the sixth grade. At the age of 16, my mom and my dad had divorced several years before that, and my dad married a young woman about 20-some years old. My mom got mad, and she married a guy four years older than my oldest sister. My sister was uh, 18, and the gentleman that she married was 22. And uh, he had just got out of Vietnam. He was a young man. I couldn't stand him, to be honest with you. I didn't like anybody, to tell you the truth. And uh, so we had a lot of problems, me and him, and that's the way our life was. But one night, uh, I had been out with my dad, me and my sister, for a few hours that we had met him. And uh, it was in January, and we came home uh, to my mom's house and uh, my stepdad, and me and my mom got into a big argument. I can't even remember what it was about. But uh, I remember my stepdad jumped in and grabbed hold of me and him fought. And my mom went in the bedroom and packed all my clothes in two uh, IGA bags, grocery bags. I had two bags. She shoved them in my arms, shoved my sister that I was with, her clothes in hers, her uh, bags, and shoved them in her arms. She kicked us out. It was about an inch of snow on the ground, 16 years old, and it was about 1130 at night. We walked to town. She went to visit uh, one of her friends. She worked at a restaurant. So my sister went to, cried all the way to town, walking, snowing, cold. She, she called her friend. Her friend came and got her. I slept on park benches. I slept in park cars. And I was scared, I'll tell you, 16 years old. And I vowed to myself I would never go back home. That was it for me. My sister said she'd never go back home. Two weeks later, she did go back home. I never did. I finally got a job working at Flang's restaurant, making $28 a week, washing dishes. I got me a room for $10, had a bed in it and a bathroom. I had $18 left over, and I ate at the restaurant, and I thought I was the main guy of town. $18 in my pocket, had food to eat, and had a place to stay. So that's how I lived. I, I got wrapped up in uh, some bad stuff with some guys, started doing things, uh, hating everybody, hating life. I'm telling you, uh, every time I've seen one of my family, they tell me, you're never going to be nothing. 
You are nothing. You got no education. Never went to high school. So that's the way my life was. It didn't matter to me what they said because they never done nothing for me, no way. And uh, did you ever live a life where all you wanted was somebody to love you? All you needed was somebody to love you. And uh, couldn't find it. Nowhere. Seemed like nobody cared. Uh, all they wanted was uh, the money you made or what you had. And it, it was a tough life. So I worked at these restaurants and uh, my sister worked as a waitress. I worked as a busboy and then I got promoted. I mean, a dishwasher got promoted to a busboy and finally got to become a cook. So I was, I was doing pretty good. Life got bad and got worse. Uh, and so the Vietnam War was going on. So I decided that uh, before something happened to me and I'd wind up going to jail, I'd go to, the, go to service. So I joined the military. Lord, help us. You know, I, I, uh, all week, Brother Henson, uh, last two weeks, I uh, went over this and went over this and went over this. And I got to crying to thank, to thank just to think that I'm alive today, that somebody absolutely loved me. Can you believe that? I, I joined the military at the, uh, at the age of 21. I signed up to go to Vietnam. I hated life. I hated everybody. I hated my own self because I knew I was nothing. I knew I would be nothing. I knew I, I had no education. I didn't have no money. I didn't have a family. And... Uh, I knew, I knew that something was going to take place in my life if I didn't do something. So I joined the Army, went to the military. And uh, after my basic AIT training, I got on a plane to go to Vietnam, and they came on board as we were flying from Fort Lewis, Washington. They came on and said, no more troops to Vietnam. So they sent us to Korea. In Korea, you're only supposed to stay 12 months. It's a hardship tour. So I went to Korea. I got over there, and I stayed 12 months. Uh, got into uh, some situations over there, got into a lot of trouble. So they gave me an option to work on the DMZ or to get back to the States and uh, face some things that I'd done. So I volunteered to go to the DMZ, and they would fly you up on the DMZ, and that's, that's where South Korea and North Korea are separated. And we would, we would be in the bunkers, and we'd stay up there 30 days, come down two weeks, and go back up 30 days. They'd fly us in, drop us off. And once you were up there, you were up there, brother. And it was a different world. But I got up there and uh, working with these guys, and there was like 15 guys on each, each uh, shift. I had 15 guys, and the next guy that came up for 30 days, he had 15 guys. And uh, I started concentrating on uh, getting the site cleaned up and, and helping these guys get enrolled in correspondence courses and they were away from home, and Christmas would come, and some of these people wouldn't, these guys wouldn't get no packages, no letters, or nothing from Christmas. Most of them would wind up alcoholics. They had the same problem. I seen the same things in their life that I had went through so I could relate to them. So I tried to work with these guys. And the Lord helped me, and I say the Lord did because I look back now and I see that the Lord did help me. Uh, wind up getting... Uh, the site's cleaned up, getting these guys uh, set up to where they would shave and be in uniform and do their job. And uh, 
was promoted to sergeant and then wound up getting a, a Army Accommodation Medal. But what did it mean to me? Nothing, because I had nobody to share it with. My company commander would write home to my mom and send her letters and tell her what I was doing. She sent them back. She'd say, I don't believe that. She said, that's not the, that's not the boy I raised. Well, she didn't raise me, actually. So <laughs> send those letters back to me. That just made bitterness and hatred stronger in my heart. And I, I'll be honest with you folks, I hated my mom and I hated my dad. I was in a situation I hated. I, I was possessed with hatred. I really was. When uh, when life is that bad that uh, you can't uh, you can't uh, stay at home and you, nobody wants you and you're not worth anything and nothing you do is right, you you get where you build a defense around you where you hate everything in life, and then you wonder what life's all about. What is life? Why was you born? Why are you here? And I remember Brother Henson. Christmas time, New Year's, holidays were the worst days of my life. Loneliness, I would, I would have paid somebody to sit down and have dinner with me if I could have found somebody that wouldn't have thought I was crazy and just say, would you sit and talk to me? Would you sit and have dinner with me? I, I was that lonely. Uh, loneliness is, is like a disease. You can be in a crowd of 100 people, smile, shake hands, and inside, you're so lonely and miserable, and all you wanted was somebody to love you, somebody to care, somebody to say, hey, you're doing a good job, somebody to say, you know what, I'm for you, not against you. Never heard nothing like that. Never did in my life. Christmas would come. I'd watch these guys open presents. Never received a card. I wound up staying overseas for six years in Korea, working on the military, uh, the DMZ. I didn't want to go home. I had nothing to go home to. Life was miserable for me. I re-enlisted after three and a half years for three more years. Uh, I was in the military for a total of seven years. And the only way I would re-enlist is if they gave me $6,000 cash bonus, and they did. I spent that $6,000 partying in 30 days. I mean, I partied. And I blew every dime I had. I didn't realize how bad I was until... Uh, uh, until uh, later on, I, uh, when you were a sergeant in the Army, you could uh, have a room in the barracks where you could build a, a wall around your bunk out of plywood, and that would be like your room because you were a sergeant. So I had a, a private room like that I could go to. It didn't have a top on it. It just had the boards up. If you lost your key to the lock, you just climb over the bunk, climb over the wall, get in bed. So I, I did that a lot. <laughs> but for, one, for some reason, one night, I was uh, really in bad shape, got drunk, and uh, came back from, the, from uh, downtown and, uh, in Korea, and I climbed over to that wall, and I passed out in that bunk. And the next thing I remember, I heard bells ringing. It was a Sunday morning. I heard church bells ringing. And something said to me, you need to get out of this country. And I thought, you know what? I do. I need to get out of here. I'd been over here six years. I didn't know anybody, uh, family, where they were, what they were doing. It didn't really matter. I just felt like I needed to leave. I look back on that now. I could see that that was the Lord dealing with me and didn't even know it. 
I went to the orderly room. I got showered. I got cleaned up. I went to the orderly room, and I told him, I said, I want out of here. I want to go back to the States. My company commander said, Morse, said, you're not going nowhere. Said, you got another year to go. Said, you're staying right here. I said, no. I said, I'm leaving here. I said, I'm going to write to congressman, tell him I've been over here six years, and I want to go home. Two weeks later, I had orders to go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I didn't have to write nobody. Uh, they wanted to send me to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I left Korea after six years, got to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I found out when I got there that I was an alcoholic. Drugs were a big part of my life. I would try to get drunk after drinking that stuff in Korea, and I couldn't hardly get drunk. I was in bad shape, full of hatred, full of bitterness. Uh, didn't have no dealings with my family for a long time. Got to Fort Campbell, and after I got there, I would, uh, I would drive from Fort Campbell up to uh, Scott Street in Covington, and I had a sister that would fix me up with her girlfriends, and we'd go party on the weekend. So I would drive from Fort Campbell up to uh, Scott Street and, uh, and stay with my sister once in a while and go out and party. In July, of uh, 77, I was up at uh, my sister's house, and uh, I was getting ready to go out to party, and I was sitting out front, and my, I had another sister that went to church. She went to Brother Stan's church, and I was sitting outside. It was on the 4th of July weekend, and I was drinking a bottle of whiskey. She pulled up, and she said, uh, Phil... She said, we're in revival. Would you go to church with me? And I said, let me ask you something. I said, do I offer you my whiskey? She said, no. I said, don't offer me your church. I'll tell you why. My mom would go to church, and they'd come out of church, and they'd cuss, and they'd smoke, and they'd talk about everybody in church. I never saw nobody in church that had anything that I didn't have. If you go to the church, somebody's watching you, people. You may not realize it, but somebody's watching you. When I was a little boy, I saw that, and I didn't see anybody that had anything that I didn't have. So I told her, I said, no, I don't go to your church, and I don't want nothing to do with your people. Little did I know, a month later, in August the 28th, I came up to, uh, to my sister's house to party. I got so messed up, I wrecked my car, totaled it. I had a 357 Magnum and a 38. I actually was committing, uh, contemplating committing suicide. My life was a total mess. I had nothing and I had nobody. I was in trouble uh, facing 10 years in the penitentiary where I'd gotten in trouble. Uh, I knew that my life was coming to the end, and uh, I knew it was going to be just like my mom and dad said. I'd never be nothing. I'd never be nobody. It was in my blood. I was going to wind up just like them or wind up dead. I had no hope. No hope. I didn't care what people thought about me. If somebody looked at me funny, I'd walk up and just bust them. My, I was hoping somebody would just kill me or something would happen to me because I was miserable. 
Now, people say, how in the world can you get like that? I'm telling you, there's people in today's society, right today, all they want is somebody to love them. That's all they want. They don't want the money. They don't want all the prosperity. They want somebody to love them. Somebody to understand. Somebody that will care. You can't buy that, folks. If I could have bought that, brother, I'd have bought that. You can't buy that. I'd wreck my car that night, and somebody put me in a taxi. And as I don't know what time it was, but they took me to 12th and Scott Street in Covington, opened the door and rolled me out on the concrete sidewalk right by my sister's house. I remember I crawled up her steps, pushed her door open with my head, crawled in her house, vomit all over her floor, and passed out drunk in my own vomit. That was my life in a nutshell. That's where I laid. We're going to go ahead and, and stop this uh, in this portion of the episode here. And uh, we'll try to pick back up here at the remainder of Brother Phillips' testimony next week. Be sure to tune back in to us and listen with us next week. And we'll listen to the remainder of this. Until then, remember to make every moment count. God bless you. When I win this war.